and even before that, uh, Debbie, Debbie, the other Debbie, uh, walked up to me and she said, the, the light will be green. And I had a panic attack because I don't see green. So I said, well, I wonder what that will look like. Maybe someday in heaven we'll see it. Um, it's very good to be here again. And a lot of things I'm sure have happened in everyone's lives. Um, a lot of things have happened in my life. I've been married now for almost two years. I'm the associate pastor at a church about 18 minutes from our house. And I actually am working with junior hires. I never imagined that I'd be teaching junior hires. Uh, and Wednesday, we're having an interview with a church to possibly become the pastor there. So we would ask your prayers for that. A lot of things going on. Um, yeah, being back up here, uh, being anywhere uh, these days always greatly humbles me and uh, just fills me with a lot of gratefulness and thankfulness for the opportunities that uh, God gives us and the grace that he gives us. And it's just a really great thing to be back together. And it's so nice that God is greater than, than microphones and colors. Um, so we'll pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you that you are perfect in every way, and we just thank you that it is your word that speaks to our hearts, and it is your power that changes our hearts, and I just thank you that as I stand here today, uh, that I don't have to depend on my own abilities and uh, my perceived uh, ways of, of being able to share the truth. And I just pray that as we are here today, that you would help me to remove uh, all of the distractions that might be in my mind, and that you would help each one of us, Lord, not just to remove the distractions, but to humble ourselves as we come to the Word of God and to listen to what you want us to become and that we would have surrendered lives, and we would leave this place with a greater view of who you are and uh, a view that is more focused on that than focused on ourselves. And we just thank you and praise you again that there are so many churches all around this nation and this world who are at this very time worshiping you and that you are greater than any of the circumstances we may be facing. And we just... Ask again that your spirit would be at work and that you would be the one that is seen. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got this is one of the favorite sayings of people around the world, but perhaps Americans in general. I can handle this. Someone even comes up and they says, hey, let me help you with that table or that really heavy piece of equipment. And a man says, no, I've got it. I've got it. I don't need your help. Someone says, maybe we should sit down and have a cup of coffee because it seems like your life is in a challenging phase. And we say, oh, no, I can handle it. I've got this. In our current situation. We look not only at ourselves where we desperately say, I have this. We see our leaders 
And they constantly give us assurance that all of these various situations are under control and the situation is being handled. I've got this. And though we may grow frustrated with them and not believe them, we ourselves say that we can handle a financially hard time, an illness or a family crisis. But perhaps now, more than ever for some of us in our lives, we realize the very difficult words, I can't handle this. I can't find a path to financial stability. I don't know what the next day is going to look like. I'm not sure out of high school what my job and career is going to be. I'm not sure how my children are going to turn out as a parent. I'm concerned about my grandchildren. I'm concerned about our nation. I cannot handle this. And the terrifying thing is when we look around, everyone else perhaps seems as helpless as we are. People are desperately lobbying bills and laws and anything else they can think of at our national situation and in our personal lives. Sometimes it seems like everything is out of control. So the question is, if none of us can handle this, who can? And today in Isaiah chapter four, we re, Isaiah chapter 40, we receive the assurance from God that he can handle this. And we'll see three reasons from God's greatness that he can handle this. And one place that that should lead us as individuals. Isaiah chapter 40. Beginning in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showered him, showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. The very first reason from God's greatness that we know he can handle our situations is because he had the power to create the world. He had the power to create the world. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span 
enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Now, we have to ask ourselves, first of all, what do these questions in verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 40, are are they intended for? And the answer is that these are not questions where the prophet is seeking an answer. They're rhetorical questions that he is asking the people because of their distress. Don't you already know the answer to your fears and your worries? It's very much like if I were to come back from the grocery store with my wife, Debbie, and we return with the dog food and it weighs about 20 pounds and I open the trunk, she tells me, are you sure you can get that out? And I look at her defensively and I say, do the fish swim? Can birds fly? Of course I can get this out of the trunk. You don't even have to ask me that question. So I ask obvious questions with obvious answers to show what an absurd thought it would be. The prophet is asking these questions because of the situation that the nation of Israel is facing or will be facing. In the previous chapter, verse 39, the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, there is a nation that is coming that is going to put your country flat on the ground. And Hezekiah said, well, as long as it's not in my day, then what does it matter? But though that may be all right for Hezekiah back in Isaiah chapter 39, it's not so all right for the people of Israel who are facing the rest of Isaiah and the future. After years of victories and conquerors in the defense of God, they now have been told, your nation will be plundered. And so they are asking questions. What happened to God? How can we trust this God when our nation is on the brink of destruction? And that is why Isaiah asks questions that have an obvious answer. He's not asking a question so they can tell him what he doesn't know, but to remind them them. No matter what you are facing or are about to face, this is the God that you are facing that situation with. And so he reminds them of God as the creator. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? When we look at the hollow of a hand, it's less than a few inches. And God is saying through Isaiah that he takes the oceans and they fit in the palm of his hand. The ocean is six miles deep at its its deepest point and 139.7 million square miles. I remember the first time that I stepped on a beach looking out on the ocean and was struck by the fact that there was nothing on the other side of it. You had no idea where it began. Well, you knew where it began, but you had no idea where it ended. 
we can't even begin to comprehend what might be at the bottom of the ocean. And God is saying that he takes the biggest thing that we can see in our world, the most vast creation, and holds it in the palm of his hand. He then says, who is marked off the heavens with a span? If we were to try to travel to Pluto, which once upon a time was a planet, it would be 4.6 billion miles from this earth. The sun can fit 1,300,000 of our earths inside of it. And Isaiah is saying that God marked off the heavens with a span, which is from your fingertip to the end of your thumb. This is our galaxy in God's eyes because he is the creator. Finally, it says, who enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Our tallest mountain is just over five miles high And Mount Everest, they estimated, I always wonder how you estimate the weight of a mountain, um, but they estimated that it weighs 350 trillion pounds. One day I was watching the world's strongest man, and he was attempting, it was me, no, he was attempting to pull an airplane. And that was all he could do, was try to pull an airplane which may weigh a couple or a few tons. And one mountain is 350 trillion pounds. The world's strongest man would walk up to that mountain and all he could lift was maybe one gigantic boulder. And God is saying that it's like a speck of dust on the scale in his eyes. His message to the distressed people of Israel is the same message to the distressed people of America and Portage and of our various households and even individual lives. I am your creator and I control all things. You do not have to be in control. All throughout scripture, God reminds his people that I am the creator. There's a reason why the very first story in the book of the, in the Bible is the creation story. Because we have a God in the midst of our fears and doubts and our attempts to be self-sufficient who with a word made the mountains and the oceans, and the rivers and the valleys. So he is telling us, I can handle this because I had the power to create the world. Secondly, we see that God can handle this because he is wiser than anyone in in this world. God can handle our situation because he is wiser than anyone in this world. In verse 13 to 14, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? 
Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Again, it's a question where the answer is obvious. The prophet is challenging the people to see that no one has given God counsel. No one can begin to show God something he didn't understand before. You ever sit down in your prayers and you say, you know, God, I I don't think you understand uh, the situation in our nation, and I just want to give you some pointers of how things ought to operate and even the things that I ought to have in my life. No one gives God advice. God doesn't call down from heaven and say, Eric, you know, I've been having some trouble trying to figure out what to do in in your life and in other people's in the church and, and maybe even that guy in Pennsylvania, and I think that you might be able to help me. God needs no counsel. Do you realize how unfathomable that is to the human mind? Someone who needs absolutely no counsel at any moment in their existence. Even our greatest leaders from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to people we admire in leadership, perhaps our teachers and our parents and grandparents, they all need counsel. There's not a person in this room that can go through life and say, I never needed a piece of advice. Even our most powerful and able leaders, people who have multiple talents, still need a group of advisors. Pastors have elders and deacons. Superintendents have school boards. Presidents have cabinets. Fathers have wives and even sometimes parents and uncles and friends. And mothers have friends and husbands and parents and grandparents. Because we can't figure everything out. But luckily, we don't have to on our own. Isaiah is saying, you do not have to be afraid of what the future holds because I hold the future and I am plotting your course. In Isaiah chapter 59 or 55, it says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. Romans chapter 11 tells us, who can know the mind of God? How unfathomable are the depths of the riches of his wisdom? We can't even begin to imagine the wisdom of our God. And so in our situations where we are tempted to give up, because we don't understand what is happening in our world, or we don't understand what is happening in our family, and we don't understand. We are able to look and say, I may not know what you are doing, but I know it is the best thing possible that could be done in my life. Because you always know what is best. 
See, even though we can't fully understand God, we can be sure there are three things that God is always accomplishing in his wisdom. He is making us a better reflection of him in our walk, a greater reflection on him in our worship, and a clearer representation of him in our witness. God is always causing us to be a better reflection of him in our walk and to have a greater reflection on him in our worship and a clearer representation of him in our witness. And so we can be assured that no matter how out of control life seems to be, that those things are what God is accomplishing in ways that we cannot even begin to understand. Whom did he consult and who made him understand? I recently uh, told people at our church that I had bought a house uh, once upon a time before I was there. And various things that many people know about happened in my life that caused me to question, why do I own this house? I want to get out of the place that I am living. And there was people who asked me to come to, to West Virginia to to live in a house that they knew of and other locations, and I desperately wanted to go. And that's when I met Debbie um, about a year later. And had I sold that house, I would have never had her in my life because God doesn't need my advice. For some of us, we may need to remember that God does not need our advice. He doesn't need help fixing the world or changing our hearts through our means. He just needs us to trust and obey because he can handle it. Thirdly, God can handle our situation because he is sovereignly in control of the world, even its most powerful leaders. God can handle our situation because he is sovereignly in control of the world, even its most powerful leaders. After questions about creation and after questions about counsel, God asks questions or makes statements about leaders. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. When we look at Russia and China... And America, Europe, all as emptiness. Now, that doesn't mean in any way that God is saying, I don't care about these people, and that's why there is nothing. He's, what he's saying is, in comparison to me, they are nothing. Just like dust on the scale. For many who believe that our nation is perhaps the greatest nation in the history of the world, it is simply 
a part of a speck on the scale. Notice he doesn't just say in verse 15, behold, this nation is like a drop in the bucket. He says, the nations, all of the nations throughout history, in present and in future, are as a drop in the bucket. It would be like if I took one drop from this glass of water and dropped it into a six-gallon bathtub. You would hardly even notice. The prophet is saying to Israel, you don't have to handle this because you know that your God is in control. You see, America has had 44 presidents Rome had 71 emperors. England has had over 40 kings and queens. Israel and Judah had 42 kings. And all of them were put in place and taken down by God. You see, though, in our nation, we do have responsibility as citizens. We need to remember that we are also told it's God who raises up and puts down kings and authorities. Who are we seeking in our time of need? So oftentimes we run to those in authority or those that we admire for their wisdom or their influence and their popularity, and it's certainly not wrong to get counsel. But oftentimes God is the last that we run to. And here he is saying, why would we run to anyone else when I am in control of the entire universe? We can write a letter to a senator or a governor or even a president. Or we can have a conversation with the ruler of the universe. Who is in control of all things. God can handle our situation because he is sovereignly in control of the world, even its most powerful leaders. So the question then turns to us. God has made his statements. This is who I am. Now, what will you choose to do? In verse 18, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. We ask ourselves, why does he go from describing the greatness of God to talking about the puniness of an idol? It's because the nation of Israel was facing captivity that is being predicted because of their idolatry. And despite everything they knew about the greatness of this God and how in control he was, they turned to pieces of wood to solve their problems. And now as they are facing captivity... They are pondering doing the same thing. 
And Isaiah says to them, how can you even imagine that that is going to help you? Who will you liken to God? Or what can you compare to him? And he says, an idol? A craftsman cast it? It's a piece of wood out of the forest or off the wall and worships it as a God. And we may say, well, that is absurd. But as we listen to the question, who will you liken God and who will you compare him with? How many things have we made idols in our lives? Not a piece of wood, but something that we have decided is more satisfying than God, more restful than God, more powerful than God. You see, idolatry is when we look to something other than God for satisfaction, deliverance, rest, and attribute strength, power, and ability that belongs only to God. It's when we look to something other than God for satisfaction, deliverance, and rest, and then attribute power, strength, and ability or value that belongs only to God. You see, it wasn't the piece of wood that made it a false god. It's what they counted on the piece of wood to do despite all of their knowledge of God's ability. That they said, God is impressive, but I need this to succeed or God is very good, but I need this to be happy. How many of us make the statement, I'll be happy when I'll be happy when my wife likes to watch football with me. She'll be happy when I take out the garbage more consistently or will be happy when we have grandchildren. I'll be happy when this house is finally sold. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy when I don't have to wear a mask to walk into a store. And we base our satisfaction and peace on things that are utterly fleeting. And we wonder why we walk through life as such shaking, shuddering individuals. Because we are looking to everything other than God to fill us up. And all we need to know that that is what we're doing is realize how afraid and anxious we are in our current situation. I've often asked people at our church, have you, have you watched more Fox News or less Fox News since this pandemic began. Because they aren't going to help us. God is the one who can help us. And I know at our church, um, one of the things that God made me start doing in the middle of the shutdown was to pray for the church an hour every morning, something that I had never done. And then we prayed uh, when we got back together for someone to for 
for a list of people to get saved. And the very next week after we started doing it, someone got saved from those prayers. Because on just a small scale, we finally figured out he can handle this. There is no one that you can compare to God. So we have to ask ourselves, how much time are we spending telling people about Donald Trump or about our favorite sports team or about how we can solve a difficult situation and telling about our intelligence and our strength versus the amount of time that we are telling people about the greatness of God? Because he can handle this. It's very much like back home. I have a pile of gravel that I'm working on shoveling that sits outside our shed. And say that with this pile of gravel, I go out and I buy myself a $60, $60, $70 fiberglass shovel. You know, it's not a wooden one that's going to leave splinters in your hand. It's nice. It's light. It has a padded handle. And I'm working away. But then my neighbor shows up with his skidster and his bulldozer, and he says, Hey, Justin, I see that you're trying to make changes to your driveway and put, put some stuff down. I could do that for you, and it would probably be done in less than a day. And I look at my neighbor, and I say, Well, Carl, you clearly have no idea the kind of shovel that I am using. You may have a bulldozer and a skidster, but you don't understand that this is a $60, $70 fiberglass rubber-handled shovel. I don't need your help. And as we laugh, we begin to realize that God comes down into the gravel piles of our life whatever they may be, financial trouble, illnesses, discouragement, future dreams. And he says, let me put this bulldozer to work. And we look at God and we say, I have a shovel. And it's a really, really nice shovel. I'll talk to you another time. Because we think that we can handle. So today, as we remember that God can handle this because he is the creator of all things and because he is the greatest of all counselors and the ruler of all rulers, let us not hang on to the shovel. Bring your burdens to God and let him control your life because he can handle this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for uh, just the majesty that we can read about in so many portions of Scripture, and uh, how much peace and rest we would find if simply we thought on you more often and turned to you more frequently. And so I just pray that uh, in the uncertainty and in my own life and uh, the lives of uh, perhaps many who are here, that we would constantly let you handle these things. And we thank you and praise you that you are at work in our lives even now and that each person is here for a reason to know and grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.